This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Senator uh, Bill Haggerty is going to be with us in a matter of moments. Uh, you know the senator. just got the job recently from Tennessee. Uh, he was former U.S. ambassador to Japan. Then we're going to be joined by Jonathan Turley, whose name was brought up yesterday. I forgot to talk to you about that, Eric. Did you see the opening? Eric is, uh, is the czar and the maestro of uh, all things sound. Uh, but he did was uh, referenced yesterday as somebody who thinks it's constitutional to try a president who's at Mar-a-Lago, who, by the way, they never mentioned Mar-a-Lago in any of the Federalist Papers, but you know what they mean. Uh, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. His goal that he set is to have the majority of schools, so more than 50 percent, open by day 100, and that means uh, some teaching in classrooms at least one day a week. One day? Getting kids back to school is a priority for Joe Biden for one day a week? Is that leadership? This is our 46th president suffering from FOU, fear of unions, and why our kids are paying the price. Number two. But it's still alarming and it's still putting our public safety at risk because essentially ICE is being told not to deport criminals anymore. How is that good? An avoidable catastrophe taking place at our border as catch and release is back in play. Mexico is stopping detainment and ICE is disempowered. And yes, we're in a global pandemic. How is this administration putting all of our lives and livelihoods in jeopardy? We'll go through it. Number one. I know this is a lot to listen to at once. A lot of words, but words are what make our Constitution, quite frankly. And the interpretation of that Constitution is, as you well know, a product of words. Exactly. I know. It reminds me of Billy Madison. We're all dumber having heard this. Uh, impeachment. The nightmare for the nation continues as Trump's team forgets to prepare. A video montage worthy of the Rachel Maddow open rolls for, for the nation to see. Uh, get ready for six more days. Will you change your mind? Uh, with me right now, Senator Bill Haggerty. Senator, not a great day for the president's defense team and overall a bad day for America, don't you think? Brian, uh, this whole process is not good for America. As I voted last night, I don't believe it's constitutional. Uh, we're going through this this political charade, not to try to try and convict a president. Uh, they're, they're, the president's already out of office now. The remedy that's called for is removal. As you said, he's in Mar-a-Lago right now. There are plenty of laws to deal with private citizens, uh, and I'm not aware of our president, our former president, being charged on any of those laws. This is really an effort to humiliate former President Trump and to humiliate the 74 million people who voted for him. They're trying to censor us, they're trying to silence us, and they're trying to force conformity. Uh, Senator, it looks like your leader, Mitch McConnell, is is still up in the air about how he's going to vote. He says, vote your conscience, unlike the last time where he kind of whipped the vote and made sure you guys stuck together, made it quick, no witnesses. This is ridiculous, the Ukrainian call. Uh, He's taking it personal. Uh, He said the president went way too far. 
He said after the, they certified it, he, the president should have backed out. Where do you stand? You know, I think that the upset that the, the uh, concern that you're hearing across the nation is really a sense of loss, a deep sense of loss on behalf of so many Americans who finally at once saw a person, President Trump, who's willing to stand up and speak out for them. You know, I'm from Tennessee, a flyover state. We have, you know, many citizens in Tennessee who felt forgotten and left out by the elite perspectives of those on the coast. And what they had in President Trump was somebody that was willing to stand up and fight for them. It was an inspiration for me to serve in his administration and, and to come on and serve in the Senate. And I think that is a, that's a tremendous amount of emotion around all of that. And you've seen the media fanning this emotion tremendously. Uh, what, what I think you'll see is uh, a lot of people like me who are going to look at this from a, from a very clear-eyed perspective and say that the process itself is unconstitutional. And therefore, they're pushing for remedies that, uh, that, that can't be delivered. You can't remove a person that's already out of office. And I'll go back to the overall thesis, I think, coming from the Democrat side. Let's inflame this. Let's use it to humiliate. Let's use this to silence those 74 million people that voted for Trump. Kind of. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, and also, where were you during the, uh, the breach of the perimeter? Uh, we were all all in the Senate chambers. I was I was sitting with all of my colleagues at that point in time. Uh, and were you were you all safe, or did you feel you had no idea what was happening? It was hard to tell what was happening, Brian. Uh, we, we were just notified that there had been a breach. We were told to stay in place, and we were getting updated in, in reports. And, and then at a, at a separate point, and I guess things had moved and shifted. They moved the group of us away. All right, let's talk about immigration uh, because well, I'll go over a little bit later the ineptness of the delivery. I won't put you through it again. It must have been excruciating to see the lack of preparation on the president's behalf. Uh, and when it comes to immigra- immigration, I can't believe what's happening. We, we, we stopped building the wall, which is horrific. We paid for it already. Number two is we're releasing catch and release now for people flooding our borders. Mexico says they're no longer going to hold back families. We're in the middle of a pandemic and no one's testing. And now you have an overrun of these facilities that aren't equipped for all these illegals coming through. Here's Jonathan Fahey, uh, the former ICE director, Cut 22. But it's still alarming and it's still putting our public safety at risk because essentially uh, ICE is being told not to deport criminals anymore. And that, that we've gone to another level in this immigration debate. It used to be if people were here working hard, uh, not committing crimes, they should be allowed to stay and enjoy every right, privilege, or benefit that American citizens enjoy. Uh, it's truly remarkable. So, I mean, where we're heading right now, I don't get. Who does this serve? Who's happy you know, about this? Brian, I think this is heartbreaking to so many people. If you take a look at what President Biden is doing, I mean, again, this impeachment is creating a huge distraction so he can get these executive orders through, and he signed more executive orders than any president in history. If you look at what he's done to the energy sector, with a stroke of a pen, killed the Keystone Pipeline, with a stroke of a pen, stopped oil and gas leasing, that's going to kill a million American jobs. And at the same time, he opens the border and allows people to move in freely and compete for those new jobs that over a million American workers who are going to be out of a job need to fight for. And then from a safety standpoint, uh, just, just as was mentioned in the clip, we're going to be much less safe 
much more pressure on jobs. And, and then look at the coronavirus policy here. Biden is re-upping, you know, the standards for people to come legally to America. They've got to have, you know, more, certif- more certification of vaccines, et cetera, tests. They don't have coronavirus. But if you want to get in through the southern border, no testing required. Again, it's an issue of safety. It's an issue of public health, an overarching issue of crushing our economy even further. Is they going to be taking jobs uh, away from Americans at a time we have 6.3 percent uh, unemployment? Quick thing in the Republican Party, you're targeting 47 seats in the House. I know you're in the Senate uh, to take it back and and not put Nancy Pelosi into retirement. You're within 10 of taking back the majorities. You know what it's like to be in the minority, even slightly. Uh, With redistricting, it it should happen. What's the message to the American people on why they should make a change? I think the American people are going to get the message loud and clear that the left— that the Democrats are willing to put these socialist policies ahead of the average American worker. And when you see Biden taking these decisions that eliminate our energy independence that we work so hard to obtain, that kills over a million additional jobs at a time when we're coming to recover from a recession induced by this pandemic, when you see China benefiting from all of these actions that we're undertaking, I think the American public's going to see loud and clear that the Republican answer is the right answer, that we've got to go back to a strong America, a strong economy, and standing up for a strong, you know, strong position in the world. Here's your challenge. Uh, big story today, and I think in the New York Times, you've lost 33,000 registered Republicans um, in, uh, in California. In Pennsylvania, you lost 12,000. Arizona, 10,000. In 25 states, 140,000. People are so disdainful. Uh, a little bit of the way the president acted, and then, of course, the, uh, the insurrection or whatever you want to call it that happened January 6th. You're losing a lot of people. Is there a plan to get it back? Well, I, I can say this, that the, uh, the video footage that you saw yesterday, and I'm sure we'll see more of it today, is aimed directly at that goal. The Democrats have a plan. Again, their plan is to humiliate and embarrass the Republican voters that supported President Trump. We've got to fight back with our message. We've got to come back strong, loud, and clear, and underscore the facts that you were just underscoring about what President Biden's policies are going to do to our nation from a national security standpoint, from an economic security standpoint, You know, not even being able to get their kids back in school. I can tell you, people in Tennessee are furious with, with, with this process. Luckily, we're we're back to school more than many other states, but I can't imagine how families are surviving this. It's unbelievable. Here's what Senator Bill Cassidy, a doctor, uh, staunch conservative, here's what he said yesterday on why he voted to say this was constitutional and okay to move forward. Cut one. I said I'd be an impartial juror. Anyone listening to those arguments, the House managers were focused, they were organized, they relied upon both precedent, the Constitution, and legal scholars. They made a compelling argument. President Trump's team were disorganized. They did everything they could but to talk about the question at hand. And when they talked about it, they kind of glided over it, almost as if they were embarrassed of their arguments. Now, if I'm an impartial juror, and one side's doing a great job, and the other side's doing a terrible job on the issue at hand, as an impartial juror, I'm going to vote for the side that did the good job. Is there anything you'd like to challenge him on? Well, you know, my perspective wasn't sit there and give style points to either presentation. My job was to listen, and, and I've, I've thought through this clearly. I actually voted on a point of process two weeks ago on this. I do not believe that this is constitutional. Um, the style of the pre- presentation doesn't erase the fact that there is no remedy 
uh, the, the remedy that's prescribed, which is removal, doesn't exist here. I think that renders a lot of this moot, and there's no due process ever provided. And I think that's one of the in, in, incredible things about America is that we do make sure that people accused have due process. That wasn't provided President Trump. So I think that this process, again, going back to the overarching, uh, the overarching theme, is that it's a it's a spectacle put on to humiliate the president. Look, I I condemn the violence the moment that it happened at the Capitol. I've not heard any of my colleagues uh, not condemn it. I'm not standing up for that at all. But what I'm standing up for is the Constitution, the fact that it doesn't apply in this situation. Right. Um, true. Uh, and whether the president told him to march over, the one thing about the president, he's pro-law enforcement. The fact that a cop was killed, that Capitol officers were hit and hurt in double figures doesn't really profile the way the Trump people act. So we still got to get to the bottom of this mm-hmm. um, and know that about it. If the president had not fought the way he did and not had the January 6th event, his approval would be about 55 percent right now because people see the policies that he had and sees what, do- what Joe Biden has done. And I think that he- they begin to appreciate it much more. We'll see what happens after this impeachment gets through. Senator Bill Haggerty, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Great to be on with you. You got it. one 408 Jonathan Turley was brought up yesterday as an example of the reason why this trial, this impeachment, should move forward. How does he feel about it today? We'll discuss it. But next, your calls. You know the phone number, one 408 This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I do think that they could have been better organized and better prepared. What seemed to strike me was that Mr. Castor didn't seem, in fact, he basically admitted up front um, that he was not prepared for for the House managers either to be as good as they were or I think to 
veer so far from the question of the day, which remember the question today was simply a question about Senate jurisdiction. But as you know, many good jurists do, they bring up the issues they want to talk about as opposed to the issues that are necessarily on mm-hmm. the agenda. I'll ask Jonathan Turley this, but I believe I heard that portion of it. I was on a shoot yesterday, so I was going in and out. But that was the portion where he said, we asked about their argument that this is unconstitutional, and they didn't answer it. Maybe they'll have an answer today. The answer is no, they did not have an answer. Uh, James, listen on WPTF in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hey, James. Hey, man, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Uh, yeah, man, what's what's on my mind is that, um, you know, as as a Republican myself, it's 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 important for me to say this, that I think that Donald Trump brought what's happening on himself. Um, I really believe that um, that his policies are what we need to be um, um, pronouncing right now, not whether or not it's constitutional or not for him to to uh, for this uh, um, process to be going through. I mean, uh, if if we don't get back to our policies, we're going to lose a lot of uh, I believe a lot of our black voters. I believe a lot of the um, the problems that we're going to have within the ranks of Republicans is going to be based on Donald Trump, the person. But let's get back to the policies. The policies are the answers for uh, our problems in America today. And if we believe that, we got to uphold that and keep doing that and stop focusing on the person. I mean, I look, mean, uh, at yeah, the very least, did something that was wrong. No, you're right. Uh, but what Democrats want to do is they want to distract Republicans. They want to divide Republicans because they know what they're putting forward now is so grossly unpopular. It's about as un- as unpopular as having Amazon no longer put their new uh, their new facility on on Long Island City in New York. When they did that and they said, well, Amazon, we don't know the big corporation getting a tax break, they lost thousands of jobs. When you stop the XL pipeline, you lose thousands of jobs. When you open up the border, we become, we put the border states in peril. We have a pandemic that's going to spread the coronavirus. And then you have people competing for jobs who are here illegally. All negative things. So let me ask you something, James. We could talk about that if you're a Democrat or let's talk about the way Donald Trump acted after, uh, right before the Electoral College was certified. If you're a Democrat, you absolutely want to talk about impeachment because their programs are their agenda, but they're not popular. Donald Trump, I believe, would be at 55% approval rating had he said, I'm going to contest some of these states, Arizona, Georgia, uh, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm going to welcome Joe Biden in the White House. And if the transition happens, I want him to be ready. If he did that, and still quit Twitter on his own. He'd still be on Twitter. His ratings would go through the roof. He'd be unstoppable in 2024. And he probably would not have lost Georgia. They probably would have kept one of those seats. So I understand the policies. You know, he didn't say, I have this great program for minorities in America. But what happened is when the economy turned around, minorities in America, they're, they're, the opportunities grew and, the, and their wages rose. Not because he made everybody accept a minimum wage they can or can't afford as a business owner, but because things just happen. So let me knock down everything that's hurting the American entrepreneur and business owner from being successful. But we're not talking about that because it would happen on January 6th, but we really have no choice. I can't talk about policies right now. Not when this thing represents 12 hours of testimony and an impeachment, which is still relatively rare in America. Wayne, W-H-I-O, Dayton. Hey, Wayne. Hey, Brian. How you doing this morning? Good. Thanks for calling. What's in your mind? Well, the three things, there's, there's three real quick subjects, the the wall, the uh, the losing of Republicans. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Yep. And uh, the impeachment on the wall. You know, you asked the question when you were talking to Haggerty from Tennessee, you know, who benefits who benefits from stopping the wall and letting immigration go wild? It's the Democrats. They bring people in. They give them everything that we have. They and they they they're buying votes. So they benefit because they get their votes. The uh, the RNC is responsible for the people leaving the party, not Donald Trump. Um I would never leave the party because I'm, I'm 64 years old. I've always been a Republican, but the Republican Party needs to get up to date because right now what we have is a bunch of rhinos. How many people supported our president when this whole thing happened, when the election happened, when the insurrection, supposed insurrection happened, when uh, now with the impeachment, we had Ted Cruz, we had Josh Harley, we had a few. But most of them ran tail because they're happy. But it's not a matter of fake. There was no proof. The lawyers didn't deliver anything. They had no choice. You could be the toughest guy in the world. You can't blame Mike Pence for certifying the election. Mitt Romney, you might want to call a rhino. The others aren't. Uh, Mitch McConnell is not a rhino, but it was over. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There's another scholar that I know some of you know and and some of you have actually spoken with recently. Up until just a few weeks ago, he was a recognized champion, champion of the view that the Constitution authorizes the impeachment of former officials. And that is Professor Jonathan Turley. He explained that, quote, the resignation from office does not prevent trial on articles of impeachment. That's Professor Turley's words. He celebrated the Belknap trial. He described it as a corrective measure that helped the system regain legitimacy. Then, you know, it'd be great to be able to talk to Jonathan Turley. After all, he was referenced on international television yesterday as a great <laughs> conservative scholar. Jonathan Turley, <laughs> welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you. You uh, Were you surprised you were brought up? No, but I was disappointed is that if they're going to cite a, an article from 1992, they really should use my thinner pictures from 1992. <laughs> I, but, uh, you know, I wasn't surprised. The, the strange thing is that there was a, the suggestion that up to a few weeks ago, I was an advocate for retroactive trials. That's, that part is not true. I don't, I'm not saying he intentionally was misleading, but I, my views on constitutional interpretation have changed over the last 21 years, as you might imagine. Um, I actually still you know, believe in everything that I said in the Duke Law Review article. Uh, I simply now disagree on the jurisdictional question. I still think that these trials serve important uses. They, they allow condemnation of wrongdoing. They allow for disqualification. But when it comes to the text of the Constitution – 
Yeah, my view did change. It wasn't just a few weeks ago. It changed a long time ago. I've adopted a much more textual approach to the Constitution. And how do you feel now? Is this a constitutional procedure? You know, I I think it's a really close question, but my default is with the text, and I would have voted to dismiss the case. I, I, I really do think this is a really tough question. Most of the scholars that have reached conclusions have said that, that uh, it's tough, but some of them have a default in the opposite direction. I think the text is pretty good indication that you can only remove the president, uh, that is the sitting president, and that that's the precursor uh, required for any disqualification. But it's a, it's a close question, and you can't fault many people, you know, reaching the opposite approach. So I want you to hear what Jamie Raskin said, uh, the congressman who's the lead impeachment manager cut for. Their argument is that if you commit an impeachable offense in your last few weeks in office, you do it with constitutional impunity. You get away with it. In other words, conduct that would be a high crime and misdemeanor in your first year as president and your second year as president and your third year as president and for the vast majority of your fourth year as president, you can suddenly do in your last few weeks in office without facing any constitutional accountability at all. This would create a brand new January exception to the Constitution. So he says that means it's going to be anybody. You do whatever the hell you want in the last couple of weeks, so it doesn't matter if they don't go ahead and impeach him now. No, that's not true. Um, It's a very appealing emotive argument, but it's not a very convincing factual argument. First of all, the Constitution itself says that a president who commits any real crimes can be prosecuted. And I've written columns asking the simple question, if this was such a clear case of criminal incitement, why hasn't the president been arrested? I mean, it, it was over a month ago, and all of these experts have said that it was clear on that day that he had committed criminal incitement. And as far as we know, he hasn't even been interviewed, let alone charged with criminal incitement. And the reason is likely because it would collapse in court. But that's a way to hold someone accountable. Now, the question of, well, that still doesn't mean that you should be excused from impeachment. Well, no, you can impeach him up to his last day. You can remove him up to his last day. But if you believe that the Constitution is focused on the president as the current president, then no, you can't do that. There's lots of things in the Constitution you can't do. There are lots of things that give people defenses that allow them to avoid accountability in one area, but not in another. In this case, if you wait too long uh, or if it occurs too late, then you have to rely on the courts to prosecute wrongdoing. Uh, here is uh, so that's one area in which you kick to the curb. This guy, Congressman Joe Neguse, was very, very familiar with the copy. His point of view, as uh, I thought, he had a great delivery. But he looks back in the 1870s for this case. Cut seven. Fast forward 80 years later. Arguably the most important precedent that this body has to consider: the trial of former Secretary of War William Belknap. I'm not going to go into all the details, but just in short, in 1876, the House discovered that he was involved in a massive kickback scheme. Belknap literally rushed to the White House 
to resign, tender his resignation to President Ulysses Grant to avoid being disqualified from holding federal office in the future. The House moved forward and unanimously impeached him, making clear its power to impeach a former official. Is that that relevant? Well, I'm afraid he he was off base on that one as well. I also thought he did a a really great job. I thought his presentation was smooth and uh, and really effective. But I think that this was just simply a misplaced shot. First of all, we're not talking about uh, the House's you know, that, that the House impeaching a former official uh, is ratification of, of the, its correctness. Obviously, this entire debate is whether the House can do it. Lots of members of Congress want to do things they can't or shouldn't do. The, what he misses in that is that in that trial, the Senate held the same threshold vote. And I wrote about this again this morning. What's fascinating is the vote turned out almost exactly the same way. It fell five or six votes short of a majority. It was virtually the same margin that we saw yesterday. So the Senate still remains divided since 1876. Almost half of the Senate believed you should not hold this trial. Now, that is actually good news for Trump in in one way, and that is while Balfour did support the House managers ultimately, it'll actually support Trump in a critical way. In, in, in that trial, the senators went on, not surprisingly, to acquit Pelknap. And that same result's likely to happen here. So it's the same margin. It's likely to have the same result. And I don't think we've still resolved this question. So what they're going to bring up today is some of the interviews with the people, the 200-plus who have been arrested for their actions on that horrific day, have saying, well, Donald Trump told me to do it. I mean, that's what I got from the event. He told us to go over there, and that's why I did it. Does that matter? I'm sure it'll be compelling uh, starting in a couple hours, but does it matter in the case? Well, it is actually um, – it has collateral value of that because we should be talking not about how Trump's words were interpreted – but how they were intended. The, the fact that you can have people who go and do awful things, like what happened on January 6th, is a sad reality of our politics. But this is not an impeachment for negligence. If they're going to make this a trial on reckless rhetoric, then it may be hard to distinguish between the jury and the accused. Interesting. Uh, so... When I'm on the air, there's certain segments I'd say to myself, Jonathan, not you, where I thought to myself, I'd love to have that back uh, on television. Sometimes I'm on stage, and I said, that's not the way I meant to say it. Please tell me when Doug Schoen said this yesterday, this wasn't written down. Cut 11. I know this is a lot to listen to at once, a lot of words, but words are what make our Constitution, quite frankly. And the interpretation of that Constitution is, as you well know, a product of words. Okay, so who got persuaded with that line? Well, that was a cringeworthy moment. I I was really surprised by the defense. It was not effective. It was casual. It was not focused. It seemed to to just ramble. It seemed to eat the limited time that they have. They had good arguments to make. They just didn't make it. And I don't know why, you know, because this was a target-rich environment from a constitutional standpoint. Uh, And instead, they went on for an hour just talking about how great senators are 
uh, and they're not like other people. And, and this <laughs> quote, it, it, it just left it just left me just mystified. I know. Let's uh, listen to some of this. Cut nine. My name is Bruce Castor. I am the lead prosecutor, lead uh, counsel for the 45th president of the United States. I keep saying prosecutor, but I do understand the difference, Mr. Raskin. <laughs> we still know what records are, right? On the thing you put the needle down on and you play it. Representative so-and-so seeks to walk back comments about, I forget what it was, something that bothered her. I worked in this building 40 years ago. I got lost then, and I still do. The American people just spoke, and they just changed administrations. They're smart enough to pick a new administration if they don't like the old one. And they just did. I'll be quite frank with you. We changed what we were going to do on account that we thought that the House manager's presentation was well done. I would throw myself on the mercy of the of the Senate. <laughs> what the hell was that? It was like an old report no which you didn't prepare for. Well, the funny thing is I wrote that column we talked about earlier that the best defense would be no defense, actually not to show up and to contest the constitutionality. I didn't think they were going to show up and not do a defense. Uh, and that's really what this is. It, it, it was two hours of largely ineffectual commentary. And what surprised me is having argued uh, as, as counsel in impeachment – was was how casual it was, you know, leaning on the podium and chatting away with the senators. I I, I was just really sort of taken aback by it. <laughs> Evidently, so was the president. Uh, some people said, I, I talked to Dan Scavino this morning, or I texted with him, and he says it's essentially it's overblown how angry the president was, but he didn't deny that he was angry. His quote was, uh, he was of uh, him being enraged and screaming our way out of proportion and overreported. I was with him most of the day, meetings, lunch, the conference calls, someone somewhere along the way, maybe a call he had in his residence, felt he needed to say he was screaming. That was not true. But if it was me, I'd be screaming. But it's his own fault. He fired the other team two weeks ago. It is. And this is all really uh, sad. I, this is one of the reasons why I pushed the I suggested that I would push the idea that the Senate should have held an institutional argument in the form of a hearing or even the appointment of amicus uh, to address these issues. I don't know what that uh, means. Instead, what does that mean? Well, it means that on issues like the due process question, the retroactive trial questions, those are institutional questions. Yep. They didn't have to rely on Trump's counsel. They could have brought in their own experts to actually argue the substance of this issue. What's interesting is that the House really didn't argue the substance much more than defense. It was a very superficial discussion of what is a complex and, quite frankly, an interesting issue. really is. Uh, So, Jonathan, did they ask you to represent the president? Yeah, I mean, it's been publicly reported I declined to represent the president. Uh, But, um, you know, I I think that part of what we're seeing is – uh, is improvisational. I mean, I think that uh, counsel was not ready, and it may be because they were just thrown into this. But I'm not aware that they asked for any motion to extend. Uh, I think they might have, but they clearly needed more time. If you were in the room, you would have been called in to be the closer. They would have made you get on a uniform and get out there. It was... <laughs> 
But uh, I don't know. I just thought it was amazing. I mean, what are your thoughts? Were you watching when your name was brought up? Were you stunned? Were you upset? No, no, I wasn't surprised. I expected that from the house uh, managers. Um, And most of what he said, I have no problem with. The Duke article was talking about those cases and why they were brought. I mean, obviously, removal was not the purpose. And I did speak positively about the use of retroactive trials. But where it's a little misleading is that on the jurisdictional question, I I don't support retroactive trials. The the text of the Constitution, in my view, is a greater barrier than people suggest. He is uh, Jonathan Turley. Uh, He's always in the news, and we're privileged to have him here with us. Jonathan, thanks so much for making it so understandable. Thank you, Brian. All right. Uh, Jonathan Turley, 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And there was one officer in this room who actually had two jobs. Number one, to be Washington's aide throughout the war. And number two, assemble and run aspiring. Aspiring whose goal was simple. Find a way to provide the intelligence to allow America to know what the British were up to and win back New York, without which we cannot win the war. They became so good and proficient at what they did, their work was indispensable and their identities were not known to anyone, not even Washington at the time. Top secret to historians of the 1920s. Now we know what they did, and we know who they are. They are the culprit spiring. Uh, that is a little of uh, the latest on my series on what made America great. Uh, and it is uh, about the culprit spiring, George Washington spies. We have actual letters. You're going to see the excerpts that they wrote back to back and forth to each other, most of which with invisible ink. If you just go to Fox Nation and download it, I think we're up to 27, and if you want to reaffirm why you love the country and specifically and possibly learn something new, Harry Truman's uh, Little White House, it's called. We also have a a tour through the Washington Monument that you've never seen before. We went with the Interior Secretary, and we revealed something uh, that I didn't know existed and almost no one's ever seen that was put there 100 years ago. So you'll see that. So um, I hope you guys can go get Fox Nation, which you're watching me on now. It's definitely worth it. So we're listening to some of the testimony for, for Donald Trump's presentation. And his lawyers were absolutely awful. Both of them were terrible. I mean, just not to prepare is inexcusable. Don't take the case if you don't want it or don't understand it. You're only going to lose business after this. There's always a risk with representing President Trump anyway. But it just reminded me of a certain other presentation when someone wasn't ready for prime time yet and it was Miss America competition Miss Teen USA Miss Teen USA thank you US Americans are unable to do so because uh, some 
people out there in our nation don't have maps, and uh, I believe that our ed education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as. So it didn't go well for her, obviously. And it also reminded me of another movie. And this one time on stage makes me laugh every time I think of it. I never dreamed it would be appropriate now. But I think it reminds me of the presentation I heard. In your rambling, incoherent response, were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought? Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Guys, am I right? Is there anything more, more appropriate than that? Well, you know, words are in the Constitution. <laughs> <laughs> and words make up the Constitution, and I'm using words now. So we're listening to words. Words. Word. Brian Kilmeade Show, where I have lots of words. You could even get the podcast, which is full of words. BrianKilmeadeShow.com or on Spotify or iTunes. There's the music. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one -on -one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here. Privileged to have with me in a short time uh, Texas Land Commissioner George P. Bush. Uh, pretty much, very uh, much upset uh, from what he's seen since uh, President Biden has taken over the White House and the policies that are coming down the pike. And Alex Berenson will be with us, former New York Times reporter and author of a brand new novel called The Power Couple. He also has been a big critic about the way we're handling these shutdowns, lockdowns, being in the midst of this pandemic. Good news off the top. 35% decrease in cases, 20% decrease in deaths, 30% decrease in hospitalizations. I am not sure why we don't get that news out, but I will. Let's get to it. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. His goal that he set is to have the majority of schools, so more than 50%, open by day 100, and that means uh, some teaching in classrooms, at least one day a week. There you go. Jen Psaki, determined to get our kids back in school one day a week. Is that leadership, Joe Biden, that you promised? Our 46th president suffering from FOU, fear of unions, and why our kids are paying the price. Number two. But it's still alarming, and it's still putting our public safety at risk, because essentially, ICE is being told not to deport criminals anymore. An avoidable catastrophe taking place on our border. Catch and release is back in play. Mexico stopping detainment and ICE is disempowered. A terrible series of actions. How this administration is putting all of our lives and livelihoods in jeopardy. Number one. I know this is a lot to listen to at once. A lot of words, but words are what make our Constitution, quite frankly. And the interpretation of that Constitution, as, as you well know, a product of words. True. Um, I think he'd like that line back. Impeachment. The nightmare for the nation continues as Team Trump forgets to prepare. A video montage worthy of a Rachel Maddow cold open for our nation to see starts us off. Get ready for six more days. Will anything change your mind? And we are back, everyone. And without any uh, further delay, let's bring in the land commissioner over in Texas, George P. Bush. Uh, George, welcome back. Great to be with you, Brian. Hey, uh, listen, I know you got your hands full now. How have some of these executive orders affected uh, your job and your people in Texas? 
Well, taking a step back, our state really relies upon oil and gas as a, about a third of our economy. And if we were our own country, we'd be the ninth largest country in the world. So for, for us, and really by any measure, this is uh, an, an incredible impact uh, on a lifeblood of our economy that on average pays an oil and gas field worker over $120,000. Uh, the way that this has been done is you know, without transparency, by the stroke of a pen. And so it creates a lot of uncertainty in the business when you're looking at capital outlays for the, the coming years to not know what direction this country is going. Um, and people forget that this industry rescued our economy during the Obama recession uh, of 09, 010, when virtually one of three jobs created across our country was in the oil and gas industry. So instead of being given a pat on the back and, and thinking about how we create jobs after this pandemic, we're actually slapping this incredible industry in the face and uh, throwing up roadblocks wherever we possibly can and not allowing states like ours to determine the industry's future. And a lot of Texas oil and gas, I have since learned, invest in clean technology, invest in wind. You know, it's not that you guys are anti, uh, you know, it's not that you're anti-green uh, uh, green technology, right? That's absolutely right. You know, so people forget Texas is the country's leader in terms of wind energy production. Over 20% of our own power grid is generated through wind and solar is, is, is fastly growing as well. But, you know, Brian, this is about the free markets. We don't have incentives where we, like the Department of Energy, slap on um, additional benefits to the renewable energy. This is just strictly a, a free market. And finding the lowest price point for electricity will provide savings to all of our fellow citizens, including in Texas. And so that's the way to approach this. It's a slow transition that's transparent so that all industries involved know the direction instead of just an overnight stroke of the pen. So these are the stats uh, that coming out of Texas. You've lost about 60,000 jobs due to the pandemic because people aren't flying. They're not traveling. Uh, the tourism has fallen and it hurts hospitality, but it, no one's burning oil and gas. It's projected in 2022 you'll lose 120,000 jobs uh, due to the ban on leases on, on federal land, which is now an executive order. And 100,000 are employed as 100,400 employed in the oil and gas industry as of December 2020. So, so many livelihoods are at stake. You worry about some other things. What else do you worry about that's coming down the pike from Washington that affects all those jobs? Well, looking at the Obama playbook, we know that there will be litigation in connection with the Endangered Species Act. So when this was drafted in the late 70s, the intent was to basically list and protect species, but then with science and data, help recover these species and then delist them. And that would be a sign of success, right? But since the act was passed, less than 1% of all species that have been listed have been delisted because it's a cottage industry for plaintiff's attorneys throughout the country. Uh, so we've been working during the Trump days and, and now hopefully we can find some agreement in the Congress to reform the sue and settle tactic where plaintiff's attorneys get money. But we think 120 different species will attempt to be listed. This affects national readiness. There's one uh, piece of litigation we've been successful on in connection with the Golden Chief Warbler in Central Texas. If you can believe this, Fort Hood, the largest military installation in our country, has had to shut down some aspects of their preparation because of this listing. So when you're talking about endangered species, but yet endangering national security, you know that this is a, a law that's gone adrift. Uh, but we expect other areas of overreach from the federal government as relates to waters of the U.S. Treaty, land management. Uh, but really the thrust of what they're attacking is the oil and gas industry, and that's where we're going to be fighting in the courts. I want you to hear and tell me if you can relate to what Senator John Kennedy said yesterday on our show uh, for Louisiana, Cut 36. 
I, I believe in an all of the above energy policy. Uh, wind, solar, uh, geothermal, nuclear, but, but uh, also oil and gas. We can't run the greatest economy in all of human history without oil and gas. And for President Biden and his people, to uh, just say, well, we're going to get rid of all of our oil and gas. And, um, and I don't think that circumstance is going to change for a long time. So why, are, why would, would this president intentionally put thousands and thousands of American workers out of work? For, for what? Our, our CO2 emissions are going down. China's are going up. So there's a, forget politics. There's a lack of logic. Yeah, it's bad policy and it's bad politics. So during the campaign, he did say that he wasn't going to ban hydraulic fracturing when he was campaigning in Pennsylvania because you have the Marcellus Shale there, which employs and has created lucrative opportunities for many blue-collar workers. Uh, In many parts of our country, we call it the blue-collar boom, especially in the oil and gas fields. But when he gets elected, he then allows the environmental left to then take over policy. Um, And as we've talked about, and Senator Kennedy pointed out, it's bad policy, but it's also bad politics because we're going to hold them accountable at the ballot box. So think about all the oil and gas producing states, whether it's red states like Wyoming or blue states, even like New Mexico. New Mexico will face a historic budget shortfall uh, with the Democratic leadership there by agreeing with the Biden policies. And so um, I think it's bad politics in the long run, especially if we're successful in the courthouse, but hold them accountable at the ballot box as well. So you formed the Texas Defense Task Force, right? That's correct. So we decided to formalize what we did during the Obama days by assembling not only attorneys that we have at our agency that do a great job of protecting the 13 million acres that we manage day to day, but bringing in organizations like the Texas Public Policy Foundation, the Federalist Society, and other conservative-leaning litigators that can help us throughout the country assemble with other Western states and basically be vigilant and, and fight back, not only in the courthouse, but also find solutions with uh, what we hope to be the, uh, the new president. But, you know, as has been pointed out on Keystone and in the, in the seizure of, of federal leasing on oil and gas activity, the president and his team has refused to sit down with industry and they've refused to take mm-hmm. our calls. Uh, so the only recourse available to us is to take this to the courthouse, to work with private industry, ranchers, farmers, landowners, that continue to be victimized by federal overreach. So you're going to need private funding in order to get these courts going in order to defend your state and the land in Texas. So we do uh, manage 13 million acres. So for sense of context, that's the size of the state of Indiana. We have wind production, solar generation, but predominantly oil and gas. And we generate about a billion a year for public education. So our beneficiaries are the public school kids of the state of Texas. We do have a small legal staff. But we rely upon able pro bono attorneys and other conservative leaning mm-hmm. think tanks throughout the country to help us in these. And we were successful against Obama. We fought back uh, an acquisition or an eminent domain, domain proceeding uh, that was taken on by the Bureau of Land Management. We also delisted successfully a species in central Texas that stopped residential development, in one of our fast growing areas of our state. And we intend to fight back on oil and gas diminution of value right. of real property. When you shut down an industry, we have a legal, actionable claim against the federal government that you're basically uh, reducing the value of our most trusted asset, and that's our oil and gas minerals. What is the XL pipeline being shelved beside the union jobs that it cost and the people that make the steel that are going to make the pipeline in America? 
Uh, what does it mean to people of Texas? As and by the way, we're talking to George P. Bush, Texas Land Commissioner. So, you know, people forget that because the, the numbers that we've thrown out there in terms of job losses, those are just direct job losses. That doesn't include the indirect job creation from the oil and gas industry. You know, in the Wall Street Journal, there's a, a great article during the last uh, oil boom that talked about a barber in West Texas that made $150,000 cutting hair for oil and gas workers on the rig. Uh, people forget about the welders. People forget about the carpenters or even Starbucks baristas, uh, baristas that were making uh, 2x what their colleagues would make, say, in Seattle or urban areas throughout our country, just to service the amount of population growth and the dynamism of the economy and the capital investment that comes with it. So, you know, people uh, just don't really appreciate, especially for those that represent coastal areas of our country. And I've never really spent time in the oil and gas uh, areas of our country that for generations have provided a meaningful career that pays over $100,000 on average for uh, a lot of people that are saving money for their kids' tuition. You know, it's amazing, George. Yeah, they don't, but they'll be the first to complain when gas is $3.90 and it used to be $1.25, <laughs> uh, and they'll blame you guys. Uh, they'll gad those rich oil companies. But uh, stop me if I'm wrong here. Don't te- Doesn't Texas have a lot of refineries? And wasn't that Canadian oil going to be refined in, in Texas? It was, yeah. So the keystone, the, the component that is yet to be completed was – to connect uh, Canada to basically to the Bakken Shale, North Dakota, South Dakota, through Nebraska, and then make its way to the refinery system in Beaumont, Port Arthur, along the Sabine Pass, the border between Texas and Louisiana. So in essence, there will be an effect on job creation in Texas, but think of all the job creation uh, just from the welding and the steel manufacturing. Uh, this is about the best America first policy that you can think of, and that was the Keystone Pipeline. Even Obama, um, though he described some reticence, he didn't issue an executive order stopping construction of the pipeline. Uh, we have four members of our Texas congressional delegation that have stepped forward courageously to say, President Biden, this is not good for our state. Uh, I believe Senator Manchin has already drafted a letter this week as well. So I think there's actually additional support in the Congress to encourage the right. president's team to to think about this. Don't you think part of leadership and your grandfather is like this uh, and George W. Bush was like this? They, they admit when they're wrong. I mean, what's wrong going, hey, I'm going to reverse this. It's not working out. That's leadership. It's not being perfect. It's admitting, you know what, this, has got da- this is going to be too damaging. I think I'm going to pull this back. You know, and, and I just think at 78 years old, you would think that Joe Biden has very little left to prove or play politics. Uh, and, and, and especially in, in your family's case, you guys understand oil and gas. Yeah, we do. I mean, we have a heritage in it, but, you know, going to President Biden, I mean, he campaigned on the idea that he was going to stick up for the working class and for uh, the working man, uh, the blue collar uh, professionals out there. And he's basically through the stroke of a pen, shut down the blue collar boom. Uh, These are meaningful jobs that people relied upon that went to college for, got a a trade certification, whether it was uh, post-secondary ed or, or in high school. And now they're being told that potentially they're out of a job and Makes unable to potentially put food on the table for their family. So, you know, it's more than just ideology. These, these are people's lives that you're affecting. And job creation is what this is all about. Government needs to get out of the way, allow the free markets to play right. and allow education or states 
to determine a, a policy that's best for its people rather than having a top-down driven approach. Big story in the New York Times today, uh, real quick. Uh, so many people leaving the GOP. 33,000 lost in California, 12,000 lost in Pennsylvania, Arizona, 10,000. In 25 states, 140,000. A lot of the distaste, they say, is over what happened on January 6th. Others, is they see a somewhat a fracturing of the party. They see a separation between Trump and more traditional elements. What is it going to take to get the Republicans back together? I think there's nothing more unifying for our side than Joe Biden's policies. You know, so, again, he, he campaigned on this idea that he would be a, a moderate and smooth talking. Um, but what we're finding in the policy side of things is the exact opposite. And so when we get to the midterm congressional elections, I, I think we're going to take the good of the Trump administration that defended working class citizens, the, the good in terms of our foreign policy that didn't talk about intervening in every single crisis abroad. The good is related to holding China accountable, uh, whether it's from an economic perspective or from a national security standpoint. And so I think we have a great message when you look at the fact that they control the White House, the House and the Senate, and they're focusing on an impeachment rather than addressing problems that at least my constituents uh, approach me and, and want, some, want some progress on. Real quick, uh, 30 seconds. Mark Cuban's not playing the national anthem. First professional team not to do it in Texas, by the way, in, in the country, to not play it before a game. What's your reaction? It's insulting. You know, um, I'm patriotic. I firmly believe in the First Amendment, but to completely omit the national anthem, it's insulting to our country. It's unpatriotic. And it's it's definitely a lack of recognition of what this country is about. And that's recognizing those that protected that flag and, and created our Constitution. Uh, he's the Texas Land Commissioner, George P. Bush. George, thanks so much. I'll see you on television tomorrow. Appreciate your insight. Back in a moment. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. The president's belief is that uh, trans rights are human rights, and that's why he signed that executive order. Uh, and in terms of the determinations by universities and colleges, I would certainly defer to them. Did he say trans rights are human rights? Yes, he did. Right. The, and Nikki Haley has come out, among other people, Martina and I have told her a few years ago, despite the blowback, and said, trans rights are human rights, that's fine. But when it comes to sports, it's not right for women to have to compete against people who are making a gender switch. Biological men. Biological men. That's the best way to put it. There's no way I could ever get through that line without you saying things like that, because you're going to insult somebody. But it's not fair to the women. Since when do women's rights not matter? Coming you, you, from the people who say they care about m- women's rights more than like anyone. Yeah. And, and so you're playing tennis. You're number one in the world. And all of a sudden, someone feels they, they, uh, they're going to switch genders, but they have male parts and they're male. Uh, but male hormones. Like, male I mean, okay, hormones. it's the parts, but it's the hormones that are the problem. I mean, physically, as far as athletics go. It doesn't matter what it is. There's a reason why there's men's basketball. There's a women's basketball. It's not an insult. There's women's tennis. There's men's tennis. Think about the women for a second. Can we do that? 
Alex Berenson's next. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeadshow.com. Get the podcast anytime, anywhere. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. If we can get, and I have used this as an estimate, it's not definitive, that if we can get 70 to 85 percent of our population vaccinated and get to what we would hope would be to a degree of herd immunity, which really is an umbrella or a, or a veil of protection against the community, where the level of virus is so low, it's not a threat at all, then at that point you could start thinking in terms of not having to have uniform wearing of masks. But we're certainly not near there yet. Right. Uh, Anthony Fauci, we're never going to be near there. We just had to bend the curve, right? About a year ago today. Uh, we're never going to get there. Alec Berenson is as fed up as I am, former New York Times reporter, author of a brand new novel called The Power Couple. Um, uh, Alex, welcome. Uh. Yes, I think I'm more fed up than you are today for a bunch of reasons. Well, I mean, first off, uh, Anthony Fauci says absolutely nothing. Do you know the cases are going down? Do you know the deaths are down 20% over the last two weeks? Cases down 35%. Hospitalizations down over 20%. Why aren't we talking about this? It's much more than that. If you look from the beginning of the year, from when the peak actually was basically January 6th, 7th, 8th, uh, hospitalizations are now down 40 or 45 percent and positive tests. Let's not call them cases because many of those people don't even know they're sick. Positive tests are down, I think, about two thirds in the United States. Okay, and this is true. It's true worldwide, but it's especially true here. So all these people who are telling you, you know, the British variant, the South African variant, by the way, we can't say that the virus came from China, but we can say where the variants came from, which is another bizarre part of Nuts. all this. But all, all these people who are saying, you know, the British variant, okay, the, the trends in Britain are exactly the same as in the U.S. And I'm, I'm going to say something else, which is right now it is totally clear that at least 100 million people in the United States have gotten this and recovered from it. And the number might be closer to 200 million. We don't really know because because for whatever reason, the CDC and the powers that be have never bothered to do proper antibody testing. But what they have done tells us it's at least 100 million. So if you even forgetting people who've been vaccinated now, which is a relatively small number, we are we are well on the way to herd immunity right now. Right. And so you consider the people you consider the people who have been vaccinated, you consider the people with the antibodies. And why aren't we talking about combining those numbers and giving people an optimistic look? Joe Biden says right now we're on track for Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, getting herd immunity. What does Alex Berenson say? I have no idea why they're saying that. I mean, politically, I guess the feeling in the Biden administration might be that if this if this is resolved too quickly, he doesn't get credit. Even though he's the president now, I mean, if I were the president, I'd want it to be over tomorrow, right? But maybe his feeling is, uh, you know, we need a couple more months, and then I can take credit for this. Um, you know, and maybe the other reason is, you know, the teachers' unions 
people look the one thing that is very clear right now is there are lots and lots of people who want schools completely reopened there are pa- many many parents are you know they 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 want they know their kids are at very little risk they want their kids back in school and biden knows he doesn't really have power to force the teachers union to do anything and they're big contributors to the democratic party so he may just feel stuck and if he says things are getting better quickly that only increases the pressure to get the schools open i mean these are terrible reasons okay this is a terrible way to run the response to a pandemic if what i'm suggesting to you is true but Given what the numbers really are, it's very hard to see why they're being so pessimistic. So the World Health Organization decided they're no longer going to look into a a lab accident in Wuhan being the cause of this virus. And they're happy with their access that they got. Yeah, another joke. So this happened more than a year ago in China. So they got in now. I mean, if you'd committed a crime, and I'm not saying it was a crime, okay, but if you'd committed a crime more than a year ago and you knew the police were coming today, wouldn't you do something about it in the 12 months? So here's the thing. I don't know whether this was a lab accident or not. And I'm not saying – and I'm not in the camp that says, oh, the Chinese did this intentionally. There's, there's really no evidence of that. But, but there's plenty of evidence that they were playing around with bat – I mean, we know they were. They were playing around with bat viruses in the years leading up to this. And – Here's what you need to understand. We are more than a year out from when this thing emerged, and nobody has come up with a plausible intermediate host. In other words, we know that the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome virus is in camels. We know that the original SARS came from civet cats and then jumped to humans. We knew this within months of the outbreaks. This is a year in. This is far more significant. And yet somehow we just can't find the animal host. We know it's out there. What does that tell you? It tells you that the theory that it's an animal host is getting less plausible every day, and that means lab accident gets more plausible. So I, you know, I, I think this is. I think the media's failure to question these things is more and more disgusting by the day. I agree. And the other thing is, so everyone wants to blame the the CDC and that we didn't have the right test. You know why we didn't have the right test? Because we were told by China that there was no asymptomatic spread. And we told in the beginning you couldn't spread person to person. So we were planning for SARS. But this wasn't SARS because he didn't tell us any different. And when Trump came out and said, you know, I had a great conversation with President Xi, I believe him, he did. Why would anyone lie about a virus that could potentially damage relationships between two superpowers? It destroyed it. Yes. And, you know, uh, look, the Chinese, I don't think we're ever going to get to the truth about what they knew and didn't know last year. We're, you know, unfortunately, they're not going to tell us the truth. And this is not some, you know, minor country that we can go in and force them to tell us the truth. They're just not going to tell us. But but what's disgusting to me is that the media uh, you know, aside from Fox and, you know, a few other places in the conservative media will not ask questions. The idea every serious investigative reporter in the world should be trying to figure out whether the story of a lab accident is plausible or not. And we're just staying away from it. And and look, this is very personal to me today. I'll tell you why. I have a novel that came out yesterday called The Power Couple. OK, it has nothing to do with covid. It, I wrote it before the COVID started. Okay. It's, it's being published now, but I finished it in 2019. And the power couple basically is under a complete blackout by the, by places like the New York times and the Washington post that have reviewed many of my other books that have covered my other novels. And I can only believe that the reason for this 
and I mean, I hate to think this, but that is that I have presented a view of COVID that they don't like. And I talk to you and I go on Tucker and I have real journalistic credentials so they can't you know, tell me I'm just a jerk. And so they're they're getting a certain amount of revenge here by refusing to write anything about the power couple. And it's very frustrating. Well, it's unbelievable. I mean, the thing, the, the biggest mystery you are becoming a trend. I mean, that's what's happening with people they call are legitimate critics and forces. But when I see Dr. Fauci continuing to get everything wrong or not say anything, this guy talks for two minutes and doesn't say a word. He, he, he governs by interview and goes out of his way. He's not even condemning the non-opening of schools, even though he told us schools are so safe to open in September. Now we have Absolutely. big... Now we have big tech censoring people who in Senate testimonies. This Dr. Pierre Corey had his testimony with Ron Johnson's committee taken off YouTube. Listen to this. What is wrong with this? Uh, cut 34. The answer is unequivocally yes. When you look at the mortality and morbidity of this disease, which is unparalleled, we are seeing countless deaths, and it's, it's horrific the way they're dying. And you look at these safe and low-cost agents— it, it seems like a no-brainer that you should try it. We have this data. It's showing that we have an effective treatment against this pandemic. And he, and he has a few out there. So they took it down because I guess Anthony Fauci didn't sign off on it. So, so listen, I don't know if ivermectin works, okay? And certainly the data on HCQ in the end was not as positive as people hoped it would be at the beginning. But, but you are correct. Censoring people for giving honestly held opinions that are backed by evidence, even if they're wrong, is wrong. And I mean, for, for, look at Scott Atlas, okay? That guy, that guy, you know, Stanford, he has sterling credentials. He, people are trying to essentially get him fired from the Hoover Institution. They are trying to, they are trying to ruin his life because he said things about the epidemic that went against the narrative. And he, you know, he, he debated Fauci and Burks, and they don't like it. I, I don't understand what has happened in this country to the idea of honest debate, and we're going to let everybody present their views and back it with evidence, and you know, ultimately. Ultimately, the facts are what they are, and people have to be entitled to make their cases. Yeah. Listen to Jen Psaki yesterday. We're talking with Alex Berenstein. He's got a brand-new novel out. It's called The Power Couple. Uh, Jen Psaki yesterday on schools opening. We thought that was a priority, but listen to this. Cut 25. His goal that he set is to have the majority of schools, so more than 50 percent, open uh, by day 100 uh, of his presidency. And that means uh, some teaching in classrooms. So at least one day a week, hopefully it's more. When you say some teaching, that's, you didn't use the same majority qualifier there. You just have to have some teaching in school, some teachers in school, not the majority. Teaching at least one day a week um, in the majority of schools by day 100. Wow, if I'm a first grader, I, I'm a parent of a first grader, I am thrilled my kid gets to go on Wednesday. He's going to learn so much Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, and Friday. Do you believe this? No, I don't believe it. Wednesday in May, okay? Yeah. And by the way, you can look at what the numbers are for schools being open right now. Because in places like Florida, they've actually followed the science and they've reopened schools. The metric that the Biden administration has met has already been set, okay? Here's what we should be saying. Every school should be open five days a week for in-person instruction now. Teachers need to go back to work, and if they don't want to go back to work, they can look for new jobs. That is what 
the administration should be saying, whether or not they can actually do it. They really can't, unfortunately, because schools are the local, you know, they're essentially local level. But that should be the instruction, not this. We're going to try to reopen safely. If you're if you're a teacher's union, when you hear the word safely, that means never reopen. You're hearing these teachers in places like Oregon and California say, even after we're vaccinated, even after the schools are retrofitted until kids get vaccinated, we're not going to go back to school. Why is this? What, what evidence is there that the vaccine is safe or effective for children who are basically zero risk from this thing, as I've been saying for a year? I, I, we, we are in fantasy land here, and the consequences to children and to their parents are just sickening. So listen to this, Alex. $54 billion we have put as of December from that $900 billion we put in. Uh, $54 billion go to schools K through 12. With the CARES Act, $13.5 billion are out there, let alone the other money that they get normally uh, from property taxes. There is no money. She's not not a problem. It's right. the unwillingness to go back to the classroom with teachers unions is the problem. And you have an administration that doesn't want to handle the problem. Just on the power couple, uh, give an idea. Let everybody know what it's about. Sure. So it is. A, so so it's a thriller, um, and it's about this uh, husband and wife who uh, go to uh, Barcelona for their twentieth wedding anniversary uh, with their kids, and their first night in Barcelona, um, their daughter is kidnapped. She vanishes, and you see it from her perspective too. You see what happens to her, and she's not just this wallflower who's like you know screaming and hoping that somebody's going to rescue her. She's trying to get out too. But the but the they're looking for her. But the book is really as much about their marriage and the secrets in their marriage and whether those secrets have anything to do with the kidnapping as, as it is about the kidnapping. So it's a little bit of a domestic thriller. It's a little bit of, a, of, a, of an espionage thriller. It's a, it's a departure for me because I've written all these previous novels, these John Wells novels that were sort of pure espionage. Uh, people seem to really like it. And, you know, if, so, if, if I could get some publicity for it, uh, I think it would do pretty well. But uh, – but right now, uh, you know, I, 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 I hope that my book is not punished for my views on COVID. That's all I can say. <laughs> it shouldn't be. Uh, your views are right views because you're trying to save lives and get people back to work. There's a huge uh, suicide problem. There's a huge depression issue. It's not stay home and stay safe. Stay home and wither away. That's yes, the problem. And, you know, overdoses are off the charts in this country. We have done we have just, you know, in this effort to protect, you know, uh, mostly people who are at the very end of their lives. And look, they deserve protection. But in the effort to protect them, we have just d- destroyed. We're destroying kids and teenagers. We're ruining young adults lives. And I don't understand why. Alex Berenson, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. It's called The Power Couple. one 866 Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. There's 38 or so states that have played football. They've already played. So why aren't we looking at what they did or what what happened and how how they did it and so forth and so on and open this thing up for the kids? That's the frustrating part. And they're playing football around you, aren't they? Yes, they are, right across the river. You could drive from my house right now 20 minutes, and they're practicing. 
And what do you say to people watching us now and say, what's the big deal? It's just a game. Only 2% of these kids get scholarships anyway. And it's not about scholarships. What I see is I have to look at the kids and look them in the eyes and look them in the face. I'm telling you, these kids are lost. They need some sense of normalcy. We're not even back at school. And each day that we do have a workout, and they, it's just a different attitude for these kids. And that is uh, Coach Steve Corey. He's with Lake Oswego High School football in Oregon. The governor, this clueless uh, governor, Kate Brown, has no problem just shelving football. They, now the other sports can play because of the delay. But now football, they're not going to do it. No explanation given. They have no power. They are frustrated. And you heard what the coach said. They are lost. you got to get them back to play. Nike is right there. I mean, come on. Use some of your power, Nike, to get these people back playing safely. Life is a risk. It's all a risk. So uh, uh, suck it up and play. If the kids want to do it, no one's forcing them to do it, let them try. Uh, let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Well, Super Bowl ratings, you thought it was going to be a great show. Well, it turns out, not really. 91.6 million watched on CBS, down 15% year to year. The most watched part of the Super Bowl was halftime, which I hated. The Bucks Chief had 96 watch, 102 watched Chiefs and 49ers in 2020. The Patriots and Rams got 98, but then 103 with Eagles and Patriots. A lot of Tom Brady is responsible for that, but not many people stuck around in the fourth quarter, I imagine. Game wasn't close. It wasn't the people who might have stuck around if they had good numbers in their football pool. Today, next, Tampa will have a parade, a victory boat parade, Trump style. Uh, they will go ahead and put everyone in a bunch of Boston whalers, perhaps, and go down the river. Let's listen. Oh, I want to describe it first. Here is Travis Kelsey of Kansas City. Go up to Tom Brady after the game, but he was mic'd up. Let's listen to their exchange. So that was actually Mahomes talking uh, about Brady, um, that he's a legend man. Oh, yeah, that's you're a legend man. Yeah, that's it. So Travis Kelsey went up to him and said, I knew you would figure it out. As if to say, I knew you would figure out our defense. It's kind of cool. Uh, I love that mic'd up stuff. Next, Jill Biden is pushing for free access to community colleges, training programs. We have to get it done. Who's writing that check? We're forgiving student loans. We're giving out free colleges, writing $2 trillion checks. What's going on here? It really is crazy. Good question. At least it would be a community college, which would be more affordable. Right. I'm, listen, I'm all for it. I don't know too many people that can't go to community college for the tuition because they actually give aid. They're notoriously affordable. Uh, and if there's an issue, I think it's great. But the other thing is these community colleges are a perfect anecdote to kids who want to go part-time, who don't have uh, the ability to go full-time because they got to work, or maybe they're not sure college is for them yet. So if money's a problem, they can help. I just have a problem with giving everything away. It de- decreases the value because then the salaries are less, the teachers get paid less, well, the campus doesn't get uh, the, the type of care it needs. And personal responsibility. You signed up to pay those bills, and now you're saying, I don't want to do it anymore? Yeah, you're 33 years old. You're happy. Now you feel like a sucker. You paid off your bills, your loans. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, coming up shortly, Martha McCallum be coming from one of our studios in the building, which is always going to be exciting. And we have a lot to discuss in about a le- in a short time. We're going to start day two of this impeachment part two. First one, uh, it didn't really change many minds, but one thing is pretty clear. The Trump team was terrible. They were unprepared. They were not resourceful. They were picked two weeks ago, and it looked like they were picked two minutes ago. But it doesn't really change the fact that I don't think the president is going to be impeached. It also really mystifies me why the Democrats are so scared of him running again when they've done so much to damage him again. And he's done so much in the last few weeks to hurt himself uh, while his policies make look better every day. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. His goal that he set is to have the majority of schools, so more than 50 percent, open by day 100. And that means uh, some teaching in classrooms at least one day a week. Yeah, uh, one day a week. Do you believe this? Getting kids back to school, priority for one day a week. Is that leadership? Next. Number two. But it's still alarming and it's still putting our public safety at risk because essentially ICE is being told not to deport criminals anymore. Nuts. An avoidable catastrophe taking place at our border. Catch and release is back in play. Mexico stopping detainment. ICE disempowered. Terrible combination. All done by President Biden. Number one. I know this is a lot to listen to at once. A lot of words, but words are what make our Constitution, quite frankly. And the interpretation of that Constitution is, as you well know, a product of words. I'm, I'm beyond words. Words do not describe the words that I just heard about words. Impeachment. The nightmare for the nation continues as the Trump team forgets to prepare. A video montage worthy of a Rachel Maddow cold open for the nation to see. Get ready for six more days that will change very few minds. I think. What about your mind? Is it changed? I don't think so. But one thing is pretty clear. When it comes to impeachment, uh, Trump rotating out his team because reportedly they did not want to. His team did not want to focus on the fact that the election was stolen. Here's a little of the ineptness. Cut five. Bruce Castor. After he's out of office, you go and arrest him. So there is no opportunity where the president of the United States can run rampant in, in January, the end of his term, and just go away scot-free. The Department of Justice does know what to do with such people. Right. Uh, please recommend your client goes to jail. Fantastic. Uh, here's something else. Uh, a montage of things uh, that define ineptness. Cut nine. My name is Bruce Castor. I am the lead prosecutor, or lead uh, counsel for the 45th president of the United States. I keep saying prosecutor, but I do understand the difference, Mr. Reskin. <laughs> we still know what records are, right? On the thing you put the needle down on and you play it. Representative so-and-so seeks to walk back comments about, I forget what it was, something that bothered her. I worked in this building 40 years ago. I got lost then, and I still do. The American people just spoke, and they just changed administrations. They're smart enough to pick a new administration if they don't like the old one, and they just did. I'll be quite frank with you. We changed what we were going to do on account that we thought that the House manager's presentation was well done. Uh, I, I, I don't, uh, I can't, uh, what? 
(laughs) And it just also reminded me of uh, what I heard on a great movie. It wasn't a documentary. It was about this older guy that went back to school to get his degree, uh, Billy Madison. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Think about if you're Trump with all this chicanery and people died, by the way, this is serious stuff. And that's your and that's your defense. Meanwhile, you got all these nine impeachment managers going over things, going through video. Nuts. So that's his defense. Evidently, reportedly, uh, the president was upset by that, was screaming. I talked to Dan Scavino, his key aide, been there every step of the way, pregame, postgame. And now the aftermath with the president, said it was totally overblown, bad reporting. He goes, don't even put me down as an anonymous source. You can use my name. Uh, he was not. He didn't say whether he was happy or not, but he wouldn't say that. But uh, Trey Gowdy had a good point. Jamie Raskin, who was the lead impeachment manager for the House, was strong, but still. Cut 13. Jamie Raskin is one of the few law professors I've ever known that actually can connect with a jury. I mean, he's a very, very good trial lawyer. So was the impeachment manager from Colorado. And if the Republican, if the president's lawyers continue to to cite the Hastings trial, which was, what, 200 and something years ago, 300 years ago, they need a factual defense for what the president was doing and why, while the siege was going on. And if they don't have that... They may win the verdict, but they're going to lose the war. They might. They might. And it just uh, it hasn't changed the legal minds. But in terms of presentation, the American people don't have a job or for some reason work nights and were able to watch that or took the day off. They can't be pleased in what happened. Mitch McConnell reportedly behind the scenes says that know how he'll vote. And then you add uh, Dr. Campbell, Bill, Ca- excuse me, Dr. Cassidy, Dr. Senator Bill Cassidy. Watch this and came to this conclusion. Cut to listen to it. It speaks for itself. It was disorganized, random, had nothing. They talked about many things, but they didn't talk about the issue at hand. And so if, uh, if, you, if I'm an impartial juror and I'm trying to make a decision based upon uh, the facts as presented on this issue, then the House managers did a much better job. Senator, how about the video of the mob attack on the Capitol? That is not the issue at hand. The issue at hand is, is it constitutional to impeach a president who's left office? And the House managers made a compelling, cogent case, and the president's team did not. And that's uh, Senator Cassie. He's conservative. I'm sure he'll vote uh, not to convict. I'm pretty sure. Evidently, they got some devastating evidence. Uh, something came through that's going to be presented today by the, by the House managers uh, against Trump. See if they have a better day, too. Uh, meanwhile, let's just keep in perspective. The Democrats who had absolutely no opinion when things were going crazy in Kenosha, things were going crazy in Minneapolis, things were going nuts continually in Portland, as well as Seattle, as well as Los Angeles and New York. They weren't saying anything. In fact, they were signing off on some of this unrest. The anti-police riots from May 25th to July 31st is damaged between $1 and $2 billion. I didn't hear anything from any, anything but generic comments, actually aggressive comments about the unrest, saying basically it was worth it, even in a pandemic. Officers injured, 2,037. And this uh, deaths, 30. Major Cities Association gave us this, this uh, information. We published it on foxnews.com. 
The Capitol riots, 50 injured, not 2,000. Deaths, five, uh, three of natural causes, one civilian shot by police and one officer succumbed to unknown injuries. We believe it was from getting hit with a fire extinguisher. I am not sure about that, but we know this is now a big deal because it happened at the Capitol. But I do believe it is a big deal the day you certify the election. Right. I got it. But I also think it's important to point out Minneapolis has a capital that matters. Seattle has a capital that matters. There's a police station in Minneapolis that matters. There's a police station that's got to take it in Brooklyn, New York, that matters. So you got to be consistent with law enforcement. The thing I found most uh, disconcerting that made me think there was other forces involved is police officers were being overrun and abused verbally and physically. What Trump supporter thinks that Donald Trump is anything but supportive of law enforcement? How would anyone think they should go and run over or even disparage verbally an officer? And that's exactly what was happening. And I wonder if the investigation a little bit later on is going to reveal these groups were off the reservation to begin with. And they're using Trump for this whole thing. Martha McCallum in here shortly. one 408 Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. His goal that he set is to have the majority of schools, so more than 50%, open uh, by day 100 uh, of his presidency. And that means uh, some teaching in classrooms. So at least one day a week, hopefully it's more. Some teaching, That's you didn't use the same majority qualifier there. You just have to have some teaching in school, some teachers in school, not the majority. Teaching at least one day a week um, in the majority of schools by day 100. Yep. Oh so all you need is one day a week, oh especially for the young ones. Good luck, uh, moms and dads, trying to figure that out. Okay, we got one day of school, so can I go back to my job? No, I can't. <laughs> I can't. One day does nothing. Why are all these women out of work? I don't get it. Yeah. They said, why, why is women's unemployment so high? Yeah. Gee, I wonder, because they had to quit their jobs to stay home and teach their children or manage their home. And now, oh, wait, we're going to give them one day a week. Oh, there's tons of employers that will jump all over that option. Martha McCallum's here, host of the story Hello. at three o'clock. She usually demands a lengthy introduction. Today, you broke protocol. <laughs> Jumping it's, right in, right? I mean, you wanted all the, the resume read and everything, but I mean, it's just unbelievable because this is a situation where Democrats, where you want to unify people, this is one of those things to do it. And then you talk about money. There's plenty of money there to open up all these schools. Oh my gosh. They're suing in San Francisco, Chicago. They finally had a breakthrough to a degree. No high school plan yet. Chicago. But grammar school. Okay, they gave Chicago $100 million to prep the schools for return in September. They had the entire summer to get these schools ready. I don't know what the heck they were doing through that whole time, but now they're, oh, now we need to fix the ventilation systems. What have they been doing to get these schools ready to get these teachers back in place? This is the <clears> biggest <throat> bunch of foot dragging I have ever seen. It is not backed by science. And Go ahead. I, you look like you want to toss to something. No, no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> I just want to say one more thing. You remember all of the 
the debate, right, over um, was the White House pressuring Redfield and Fauci to say certain things, right? So now you've got the reverse, I think, maybe what's happening. Because you've got the CDC director, Walensky, coming out and saying that it's safe for teachers to return. They don't need to be vaccinated. You've got Fauci saying it's safe to go back. Now we're about to hear the official CDC guidance, right, that the White House says is coming out anywhere from today till (laughs) Friday. So what game is going on right now with the teachers' unions in terms of what they, they will press the CDC to say in that report? That's what I'm watching. Can I backtrack on that statement? What do you mean wait until Friday? It's already out. You might not like what's out now. Just tell me what's going to change. Tell me this is wrong. What is it about this wrong? This is one day. You have an eraser on your pencil? Uh, So just some of the numbers. The high cost of missed education. Do you see this study? U.S. economy could lose between 14 and 28 trillion dollars because kids aren't learning. The pandemic in terms of affecting kids out of the classroom, the higher the number will climb. Uh, the longer they stay out of school, from kindergarten to fifth grade, have missed out, they say right now, between 20% of re- on reading. 33% of their math skills have either not been developed or have fallen down or have atrophied. When they talk about how much money we have put in, I was staggered to see how much money. Mark Teason's column today outlined how much money was spent in schools in December in that that $900 billion bill, $54 billion was set aside for K-12. through In the CARES Act that was passed in June, $13.5 billion for schools. I didn't know. No one's really – if there was a story where in Seattle they're saying we have no money, no one's give that, given them that story. Teachers are worried about the risk. Uh, the classrooms aren't ready for us. The ventilation's not done. Why is it not done? No, and I asked Randy Weingarten this several times back in the summer, okay, It's not about the money, okay? There's plenty of money, and it's plexiglass, it's, you know, ventilation systems, all of which should have been taking place over the summer. And I also said to her last summer, wouldn't it make sense, actually, to bring the kids back in July? Because they had already lost the whole spring, right? And remember the summer? It looked like it was over. It was complete flatline in terms of, um, of, of a lot of the statistics on the virus before it came back. So it would have been awesome if the kids had been in school June, July, August when the virus was low. Um, but the answer was always, oh, the contract doesn't start till September, so uh, we can't. Just do what's right. Do what's right. You care about children. I come from a long line of teachers, right? My mother never took a sick day when she was a teacher in third grade. She was there every single day. Now, granted, you know, this this wasn't going on in that moment. But, you know, put the kids first, please. Please. How about this? They have to revamp their curriculum for at least a year and a half. Oh, please. So without leaving out the kids... They got to find a way to consolidate, which happens on snow days and when things happen like a 9-11 and when you have to stay out of school. And I imagine in World War II, they had a depression. They had all types of things that had to change. So they got to find a way to consolidate the school. Just assume if you're in second grade, these kids got to relearn the second half of first grade. That's right. And if they're not doing that now, how are they ever going to catch up? Teachers are capable of doing it. They're some of the best, finest, smartest people Absolutely. you're ever going to meet. They can do it. Absolutely they can. And there's, you know, there's a groupthink problem and pressure on teachers. There are so many teachers who are so dedicated and so good at what they do. And many of them have mastered a great way to do some of these things remotely. But let's face the facts. There's so much slippage. If anything, what we need to do is extend the school day when the kids go back, not give them one day 
give them five and a half. I mean, right. you know, make it up. We have a lot of catch up to do here. This is so important. The learning deficit, you can't get it back. Has anyone looked recently at the rankings of the United <clears throat> States in, in reading and math in the industrialized nations around the world? We're like 14 and 28 on the list. We are not competitive. We're not. And this is going to have a devastating, lasting impact, not only on the students, but on what they can produce for our future and for our economy. It is devastating. Right. I want you to hear from this coach. So I'm doing a, I'm going to have a story out tomorrow about Long Island decided we're going to consolidate all the sports and just do it. We're going to play. March 1st, Great. they're going to play fall football and soccer and, and um, I think field hockey. And they played basketball. First game was last night. And they got to play spring and spring. So everything's consolidated. Great. No state championships, just county championships. Like they're making it up now because they got permission two weeks ago. So they decided to do the same thing in Oregon. But they said, you're not playing football. Here's this coach, Steve Corey, trying to make sense of it. He's at Lake Oswego over in Oregon. And he said, why am I not playing? Cut 40. There's 38 or so states that have played football. They've already played. So why aren't we looking at what they did or what what happened and how they did it and so forth and so on and open this thing up for the kids? That's the frustrating part. And they're playing football around you, aren't they? Yes, they are, right across the river. You could drive from my house right now 20 minutes, and they're practicing. And what do you say to people watching us now and say, what's the big deal? It's just a game. Only 2% of these kids get scholarships anyway. It's not about scholarships. What I see is I have to look at the kids and look them in the eyes and look them in the face. I'm telling you, these kids are lost. They need some sense of normalcy. We're not even back in school. And each day that we do have a workout, and it's just a different attitude for these kids. And I saw that yesterday. I went out to Santa Marichis, way out in the east, right? Think the Hamptons, uh, if you listen around the country. And then I was in Nassau County in Massapequa. It was my hometown, the school I went to. And they were just told to cancel. They were done. The numbers were lower in September than they are now, by the way. So they're trying to do it. And I couldn't believe how eloquent these kids are. They say, you don't understand this. We miss seeing each other. We don't see each other at all. We're in a hybrid situation. We just want to be together. And then they showed me their phones of all the team pictures they have on their phones. They're not getting scholarships. You know, most of them aren't getting scholarships. Like, half of them aren't playing in college. You know, two points on this. One is kind of obscure, but I keep thinking about this in terms of human interaction and the importance of it and being together, right? So when a baby is orphaned, they, you know, in hospitals, they bring, like, volunteers in to hold the baby. Because if the baby doesn't have human contact and, like, literally, like, skin-to-skin contact, it doesn't thrive. It needs interaction. needs someone to look look at it and talk to it. So think about that, right, in terms of the developmental impact for all these kids. They don't have touch. They don't have hug. They have, you know, they're home with their parents, which is, you know, obviously a good, safe place to be. But this is, this is a big factor for these students. And the next thing I want to talk about is, is football after that. When we come back, Martha McCown. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. We're back. Martha McCallum's here. She's going to be hosting her show at 3, doing a lot of the impeachment coverage, which uh, starts shortly, depending on where you are around the country uh, and when you listen. Martha, you were saying, I I played a cut, if you're just tuning in, about a high school football coach who sees 20 miles away they're playing sports. He sees private schools playing football, I should say. 
and now they decided to play sports, all the sports except for football. Your son's a football player. Yep. You have lacrosse players in your house. Yep. What, is, what is your reaction? They say it's too risky in Oregon. Well, you know, I mean, unfortunately, there's so much about this that has become political, I think, all the way down to, you know, being against football, right? I mean, if you're going to play basketball or you're going to play other sports there's no increased threat in football you have to be smart about it you have to spread out um, my son is on the notre dame team and they were very inventive they have amazing facilities they've got a lot of ability to spread out um, and they had a ton of support but they started playing on august 10th and they played the entire season uh, they did have cases now and then they did a great job at managing that and the, the the players were incredibly committed to the mission that they cut out for themselves which was to have a whole season and uh, to avoid, you know, risky behavior. So um, it absolutely can be done, and it and it helps people so much. I mean, the, the the what it brought to the school, what it brought to those players, what it brought to everybody, just to just to see them back on the field was immeasurable in terms of an uplift, which everybody needed in a big way. So I was at a Santa Maria's high school yesterday. We know we have WRCN who covers us and WABC. They very familiar with that out in the Hamptons. And I couldn't believe how many of these kids, they were about to play for the state championships. They won the Long Island championships on the bus. They were told it's canceled. Can you imagine? And then the season starts, no fall. And then the winter, no basketball. And then one week ago, they were told, we're going to play. And the only thing you get at is a county championship, but they're fine. And I was talking to a few of the kids. And one of the kids was a little nervous. Uh, You know, we used to talk to adults. It's interesting to go back and talk to high school seniors. And one was a little nervous, totally understandable. And then I just said to him, um, why was it important for you to play? You just, he said, I had to escape. I'm not in a good situation. I need, I need a break. I need, and I said to him, I said, whoa. I mean, I, all of a sudden this turned into a little wow. therapy yeah. because, you know, a lot of it's economically disadvantaged situations. See, all you work around, I got no school. You know, I got a bad laptop. My teacher's not too into it. They don't know how to work right. it. After a while, I was like, I don't really get math anyway. Maybe English is a bit of a – I don't love reading. I, you know what? No one's asking me to read. I'm not even in trouble for not doing my class. And you know, it's kind of easy to cheat. I'm not saying they cheated, but it's very easy. My daughter tells me she goes to school. She doesn't take the hybrid option. She wants to go in. Mm-hmm. And she said, when they dip their head – you know, you you know, you could see it's well, you you have your answers in your lap. These people are getting great grades, but they're learning nothing. Yeah, nothing. So, and then they they just want to go play sports. They want the discipline of when you're on the bench, you wear your mask. When you can only lift your mask out five inches to take a breath on a foul. Whatever. So they embrace that because you know what it's like. It's a regimentation with sports. It's a natural thing. Yeah. And that's heartbreaking uh, when I hear what that child said. And, you know, kids are out of the mouths of babes, right? So he's just being truthful. I need an escape. I can't. And, yeah, the discipline that they have in terms of laptop learning is just it's just so flimsy and it doesn't work. It's been proven over and over again that it doesn't work. Some kids, you know, can can thrive in it. Uh, but it's not something that most kids can manage well. And they need to be able to see their teachers eye to eye. They need be, to be able to listen to their other um, classmates and hear the exchanges. And they need to laugh and have some fun and be in a classroom. And if it were, you know, a dangerous environment, then that would be a different story. But, you know, as some doctors say, it's even it seems like one of the safest places to be, actually. Safer than the grocery store and safer than, you know, a tight family gathering for eight hours um, based on what we know. So, um it's a shame. It really right. breaks my heart. I mean, I, I talk. I, you realize everyone's affected. Very rarely. Sometimes after nine eleven, 
you'd go out to California and go, okay, it's over. And I'm right. like, really? Because yeah. they didn't sense it. No, I know. Right? You have an earthquake in California, New York, they're like, okay, did you fix it? Of course. Were you there? Which is like a natural yeah. protection mechanism, I think, but for people. Not this. If you're not so close to something, you know, you, you're naturally protected from it to a certain extent. No, not this. This is pervasive across the entire country. And, and the thing is, I think about 9-11 a lot because it brought people together in such an enormous way. And so sadly, this has divided the country even more. So when you have a collective tragedy across a country, it ought to bring us together, but it didn't. And I think that's also one of the great tragedies of this year. But you know what? They wanted us apart. They were told to stay apart. Stay with your nuclear family over. Don't do Easter. Don't do St. Patrick's Day. Don't do graduation. Don't play sports. If you go to the beach, stay away from people. We're going to send security guards to walk the beach and separate you on your towel. But the nation did not all behave the same way. No. And so it became something that looked, reflected like red states and blue states, and they're handling it totally differently. You know, Indiana is 100% different than New York. Um, New Jersey is very different than Florida. And um, that also, I think, deepened the divide. So I had Douglas Murray, one of the deep thinkers out there, yeah, was on today. But, and we brought him to a topic that I find fascinating, and that when this first happened, who's handling it better? Why is China handling it so much better? Well, they arrest people, and they uh, they, they jail doctors that are whistleblowers. So no way right. they, that, they, that their numbers are accurate. No they way. They say 100,000 cases in China. Right. 4,000 dead. Does anyone believe that number is anywhere near reality? I, I would hope those families to get some degree of justice and not get killed. Taiwan did something brilliant, and we'll look back at that later. They knew about it more than we knew, and they yep. tried to tell us we didn't uh, We didn't get the message. So, And Japan's done things, but they've had surges. But early on, they said these uh, bureaucratic-heavy systems did so well. Germany was doing so well. France is doing so well. Why are we doing as disciplined as Russia? And uh, and Britain was having a terrible time. America was having a terrible time. Now Brazil is having a terrible time, and they were blaming these populist leaders. But things turned. And after a while, when the vaccine rolled out, it's the opposite. The opposite, because North Dakota, South Dakota, West Virginia uh, are, leading and, um, are, are leading in terms of uh, execution. I believe it was Arkansas. The vaccine is getting out to these red states, and the blue states are struggling. And you know why? Because they're trying to be politically correct. They're trying to say, we got to get minorities first, the politically disadvantaged first, the economically challenged first. We got to do And what happens is, in New York's case, they're actually throwing out vaccines. They're so scared of giving it to the wrong person. No, which is so crazy. The entire motive should be to get it out to people as quickly as you can, right? I've been saying this forever. Do a drive through, set it up. And if you're 65, if you just show them your license, Don't, don't register online, don't go through all this bureaucracy. Pull up. Roll up your sleeve, show them your license. Over 65, you get a shot immediately. Another line, if you're under 65 and you want a shot and you're willing to wait at, at the end of the day to see if they have any extras, then you go to that line. It's, it's, it's not that Israel complicated. Did. Just keep giving it to everybody who you possibly can. Every single person who's vaccinated is going to make other people safer. And you know what? A lot of people don't believe in it. They don't want it. Fine. They, won't, they don't get it. Give it to other people. EU is having problems. UK is doing great. Israel was having problems with the pandemic itself because of freedoms and all those things, those horrible things. Uh, and now the vaccines are doing great. As a country, we're doing a lot better than everyone now. I think we're going to get hyperspeed. I, my humble opinion, between the antibodies that people have who have had it and the vaccines that we have, now Johnson & Johnson, I think we're going to have a good spring. 
I really think that we're going to have a solid spring unless they go out of their way to continue to hurt us as a people. Here's one other thing that you mentioned, right? The you know There are some studies in New York and California, blood test studies, that show that the immunity level is much higher than people realize. Many more people have had this than we realize. Even as high as 83 million people is, according to one of these studies in California and New York. So think about that. If 83 million people already had it, if we had a quick way to do those antibody tests everywhere, then you could they could go to the back of the line and give it to everybody else. You'd be covered in four or six weeks. And I would do a campaign to educate people on the reason to get the vaccine. So just tell us. Don't have to snow us. Tell us. Yeah. Because I was reading this Axios story the other day because it was a good story. And I said there's got to be a kicker to it. Can we just admit that this vaccine is rolled out and has lived up to the hype? People are getting the immunity. They are not getting this. They are. It's working better than the polio and better than the, the tuberculosis shot and everything else. This is actually working. Can you take a deep breath and realize it? I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, I'm told they have 500,000 doses that are already ready to be shipped. Um, that one has been dragged out. It's one a month shot. late. Yeah, it's one shot. Exactly. Right. And it's it's a different, it's not the mRNA. It's uh, more of an old school style vaccine that is, you know, a live virus that has grown to create that vaccine. So, it's Which is the, how they do the flu virus vaccine. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So we're going to battle, uh, we've got to battle this out. And it's just amazing how these uh, politicians won't let go. And I think we're saddled with the worst in this governor and this, this mayor who says, I really learned during the pandemic oh one gosh. thing, I need sleep. I'm so much better when I get sleep. Is that a leader? Did he did he quote Patton when he said oh that? My or did he quote Lombardi? It's, it's un- hard to No, I know. <laughs> it's this is just unbelievable. incredible. And Andrew Cuomo now is just like, you know, so concerned about his own how his own legacy and how he's gonna come out of this. I saw a survey today that said if there was a recall process in New York, something like forty percent of the of this of the state would say that they would vote to recall him. Lucky for him there we don't might have be some one. Justice, but don't worry. Pop-up entertainment's happening. Some of the mm-hmm. richest, most successful entertainers and comedians want to be able to perform again, mm-hmm. as opposed to those working their way up in comedy clubs, which are built right now right. to have the separation to start up again. Right. But no, we're going to do pop-up because Chris Rock and Alec Baldwin <laughs> called them up and said, let's do pop-up <laughs> oh, entertainment. So How generous. unbelievable is that? So generous. Right. Unreal. The billionaires are bored. Unreal. Wow, I felt good though. I feel, there's a good you get this out. You have to run now. Should we go do some pop up entertainment? I would. I'd love to. <laughs> I don't know if I qualify. Uh, I want to see the check ahead of time. Anything to to make sure the governor is uh, is entertained. Uh, we're going to see you at three. Am I seeing you in between? You making another appearance? Yeah, tomorrow? we're going. Uh, we're going to start um, impeachment coverage at noon, and we'll be on throughout uh, throughout the afternoon. All right. I think he should sell tickets. The Trump team should sell tickets. By the way. They approached the first one. If, mm-hmm. No, it's serious, but they were so terrible. I mean, can they he possibly like, you, be less uh, you, prepared? You senators were awesome, and that video was so good <laughs> that we threw out our presentation, and now I'm just ad-libbing. It's like, oh, dear Wait, God, wait, can, can, we leave, can we leave with a montage for a montage of excellence for uh, this is Eric to you, Martha. My name is Bruce Castor. I am the lead prosecutor, or lead uh, counsel for... The 45th president of the United States. I keep saying prosecutor, but I do understand the difference, Mr. Reskin. <laughs> we still know what records are, right? On the thing you put the needle down on and you play it. Representative so-and-so seeks to walk back comments about, I forget what it was, something that bothered her. I worked in this building 40 years ago. I got lost then, and I still do. 
The American people just spoke, and they just changed administrations. They're smart enough to pick a new administration if they don't like the old one, and they just did. I'll be quite frank with you. We changed what we were going to do on account that we thought that the House manager's presentation was well done. Please clap. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Did you ever hear from the people who you impersonated, or did you ever have any strange interactions with people who, who you who you played on the show? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Brian Kilmeade tried. He, like, sent me a signed book, and I'm not a fan. Uh, you didn't read I'm it? not a fan at all. Um, no, he said a lot of terrible things. Uh, yeah, he's just, I'm not, uh, I don't even wish to speak of him. <laughs> <laughs> So what's that from? That is um, Bobby Moynihan, who played you on SNL. Um, he was he did a podcast, The Last Laugh, and um, they asked him, you know, have you had interactions with people you played? And you were the first person he mentioned. And he he didn't read the book, but he clearly remembers you sent him a book. Wow, he seems like a great guy. But Fantastic. didn't you say? Didn't Steve bump into him outside of Fox one day, and apparently he was nice? Somebody bumped into him. Yeah. I'm not sure who it was, but it wasn't you. Right. It uh, was not me. So Bobby Moynihan. That's interesting. Where do you find this stuff? See, the world should set Google alerts for Brian Kilmeade, and you'll basically they'll get sent to your inbox. Really? That's so interesting. Pete, <laughs> listen to WABC in Connecticut. Hey, Pete. Hey, Brian. How are you? I don't think you're horrible at all, just to let you know. Thank um, you. I uh, have two young boys, 7 and 10, that are in K-5. Um, both got tested positive for covid when they went for their physicals at the pediatrician, not knowing I'm 44, my wife, um, these kids are suffering. Um, we live in a town, about 65,000 people. They just started going to school like three hours a day. Then they have to come home and go like online learning. Um, my kids have learning disabilities, you know, nothing crazy, dyslexia. They don't learn over the computer. They are fading. They are suffering. I've never seen anything like it before. My wife and I have hired, we're hiring tutors at his expense. We're contemplating putting them in Catholic schools, and we're not we're not practicing, and we're going to go without our health insurance. We're going to have to give up our health insurance, not the children, but ours, so that we can afford this. I'm a blue collar worker. My wife works full time. I have a, I'm a small business owner, and I, I just am so dumbfounded. You know, when you talk about football, the, in our town, in the youth programs, they can play football, but the FCAC, which is the Fairfield County. Uh, uh, scholastic athlete, they they will not let the college kids play football. I was a captain, I was all state, and I was all uh, FCAC when I played, you know, 30 years ago. And um, it was one of the most important things. I moved on and played in college. It was one of the most important things that helped create who I was as a person, being able to have that. And I still talk about it to this day, and I feel so bad for these children or these, these high school kids, let alone my, my children. And I just don't know what's going on. And one last thing. In Connecticut, they'll let you ha- go in the restaurants, and they also have outdoor, you know, they have tents set up and stuff. I ha- We don't go out that much. I happen to go out with my best friend's uh, wife's birthday the other night, and I'm looking around the restaurant, and everybody's out, no masks on. If you sit at the table, you don't have to have a mask on. Tables are, you know, six feet apart probably. Yeah. The place is packed. Everyone's having a good time, and, you know, and everyone's just living life. And I'm like, how are our children not in school? It's crazy. Like, everybody's out. It- it's insane. And I-, I mean, the children are suffering so bad 
It's unbelievable what's going on. And do you you hear this? The goal of the Biden administration is one day a week. 50% of the country one day a week. That's the goal. Uh, That's a travesty. So I got this email just now from Pat. Pat lives in Arizona, has three grandchildren. They're in school, in person. Here's what they do. The students have their temperature taken, clean surfaces a lot. They wear masks. Here's the difference. If someone gets COVID in their class that week, they stay home for a week. Not the whole school, just that class. Two of the granddaughters have never had to quarantine. One granddaughter had it once. They are playing sports. We are showing it can be done. And the damage is incredible. The problem with your youth situation, if you have a challenge, whether it's reading or something else, the one thing about the private schools, they usually don't have the built-in systems that public schools have. That's the problem I imagine you might find with the Catholic schools. Yes, it is, but you would be surprised at the public schools, what we're going through, too, with that. And I, and I grew up, I had dyslexia myself and, and had a wonderful experience, K through 12, and had the most help in the public school. And I'm a lifelong, I mean, I lived in our town for over five generations. I love our town. It's just amazing what is going on. And these kids, I mean, we have a town of 65,000 people. Some of the elementary schools have had zero transmission since September, zero transmission, and they will not open the schools back up it's it's like you know like i said my two kids tested positive to it because it was a formality for the pediatricians they had to go for their physicals after christmas break and they called a couple days later said oh they both tested positive you got to stay home okay i'm 44 years old i'm not a pinnacle of health i didn't know my kid sits next to me every night uh you know i kiss him three times a day we watch tv I don't. I didn't have any symptoms. I mean, I went and got tested, and it got and I got tested negative. But the rapid test doesn't always work. I was told. So you know, it, it's just it's insane. We know the information that's coming out. You know, this is not about science that they keep saying. And the Biden administration, America last is what I'm calling it now because I, you know it's 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 just insane what is going I on. And I hope people are sober up and they pay the price for this because uh, we're paying the price for it now. Uh, thanks so much. Great call. And all of you out there for listening. So Brian Kilmeade Show. A lot going on. We'll keep you up to date and recap everything that happened today next time. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.